And we're live. How are you doing? I am. Uh, I am doing. I'm doing good. New week. Uh, I feel like last week felt like three weeks, like a whole month. I think. <laughs> <laughs> My God. So I'm happy that it's a new week. Does that even make sense? I love Mondays. It's like all right, yeah. new beginning. Everything's possible. Well, I mean, you loving Mondays makes less sense, but <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about this. But wishing for the next week is, I think, common experience. <laughs> Man, it's crazy how we are recording. It's like our first time recording after having new iPhones, both of us, and cool phones and whatever. And that's not the biggest thing that happened. Like that's not going to be the main thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think last week Design Twitter was like the busiest. I think I've ever seen it, like in a single week.、Mm. And I just this whole time I've just been waiting to talk to you about this. <laughs>、uh, Let's do it. So just going, just summarizing, kind of what happened. I think、uh, Adobe acquired Figma, or no, or is in the talks. You know, it's going to buy Figma. Then、uh, sure, the iPhone was out and stuff, but then that also created a bunch of like controversy and reaction. We've seen old man yells at Island. Copyright,、uh, Dave Dernes. <laughs> you know. Wait a second. He visualized it, but I said it first. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Trademark, Kevin Clark. <laughs> but I appreciate the visuals, Dave. <laughs> That was good. The visuals were on point. Left so hard. Then、uh, some people were complaining about designers taking credit for the dynamic island and stuff. We can talk about that. Damn. Right. And then we even had a little something of like Figma is not a design tool, which I don't even want to talk about. That like that's at the bottom of the barrel. Wait, what? I missed this one. You've missed this one. My God. There's、uh, links in the show notes. <laughs> uh, some another white guy <laughs> saying Figma is not a design tool. It is a drawing tool. That these get conflated demonstrates the shallowness of so much design practice. Whatever, overconfident white man, just whatever. <laughs> I don't even want to talk about this one. This is like just the last bit, just to wrap the week up. And、uh, yeah, and then we did also get our phones, but I don't know if we're going to have time to talk about that. We will, we will. All right. Well, we have to. It's in our contract. <laughs> it is. <laughs> I, I want to start by doing two quick pieces of follow up that we we didn't address last week. Or, I mean. Last episode, but、uh, I still want to mention them. So one is listener Singyu Lam. Hope I pronounced your name correctly. Sent a bunch of、uh, feedback on our discussion over Material U.、Uh, I think that was like a couple episodes ago.、Mm-hmm. Like as an Android user,、uh, it was just giving us more insight and、uh, what's the current state. So apparently,、uh, Android 13, like the new version, and I'm quoting, seems like what Android 12 was meant to be. So I guess it's way more polished. The whole Like material you think it's it's more like you have more palette options and stuff from wallpapers and so it seems to be in a better state and probably like a bit more polished than version twelve was and I guess、uh, third party adoption is still a bit spotty right so we're gonna put links in the show notes for a bunch of like their tweets and it's pretty good、uh, check that out and then another one is Dave Darns mentioned that the better title for our episode would be the material. <laughs> You, you are, which is I agree. That would be a way better title. But as the rules say, we can. The title has to be something that we've said on the show. I wish one of us had thought about this joke. Wait, did we say the joke out loud? Yeah, we did. <laughs> Play the tapes. <laughs> Release the clip. Oh my god! Wait, I said this during the episode. As I was saying this, I'm like, maybe we did. Oh my god! We did say it. See. See, you're attributing everything to Dave, but in reality, it's just me. Wow, it's been it's been Kevin all along. It's always been Kevin. I feel very very disappointed, but you know, it's just yeah, it's just like you know, remove the mask. It's just me. Being, 
I just said David doesn't exist as a person. It's just my <laughs> alternate. Is your alter ego? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he is damn right about that. That was a better title. But I actually don't remember what we used as a title for this episode. But we did have a bunch of good, like genuinely good names mm-hmm. for the episode. So damn it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Should we go back and like change it? We can't. We can't do that. <laughs> We can uh, judge the kiss it. <laughs> yeah, I think with the mentors are just misunderstood, I think. Which is, you know, it's an okay title, but yeah, not as good. So Dave, you're right. <laughs> I didn't realize that we actually did say that in, on the show. If we did, missed opportunity. That is the one downside of not recording this show live is uh, we can't have folks like Dave weigh in on the title before we post the episode. So maybe one day. I mean, to be fair, uh, most of the times I do edit the show again, so I had it. I would have a second opportunity to catch all of these great titles, but uh, I guess this one slipped. Damn it! <laughs> I didn't catch it either, for what it's worth. So, <laughs> all right. Well, next time. Uh, well, we did say it this episode. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can <No>. you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. So, topics. Let's start with the big news. Last week, it was announced that Adobe is going to acquire Figma for. 20 billion dollars. <laughs> it's like, I can't say billion without pronouncing it the Trump way now. Like, billions and billions. <laughs> then, then let me do it. I got it. <laughs> 20 billions, billion dollars. That's a lot of dollars. When I saw this tweet, so I'm in Europe, right? For people who don't know. Twitter in Europe is different, right? It's very quiet during the day. Uh, and at around 4 p.m., it starts to ramp up and it starts some chatter, and then it really begins mm. in the late evening. So this tweet uh, was like, I think Bloomberg or something was like the first to report this. It was tweeted almost like as a rumor, but it was Bloomberg. So like, oh, this is probably a done deal. But when I first saw it, in my mind, there was still a chance that this was just a rumor, not actually right, right. and true. So my initial reaction was like, Oh, no, 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 no. I hope this is not true. And then it didn't take long for Figma themselves to officially confirm. And they posted a a blog post, uh, Dylan did, uh, on their website. So it was a weird, like, just reading the news, it was just prime meme material, right? I did contribute to the memes. Uh, It was just a lot of feelings (laughs) uh, that I want to go through. Uh, really quickly but like that was my first reaction was disbelief like this can't Mm. be true how did you feel about this when you first saw it yeah my experience like learning about it was a little different i feel like i had just woken up like i just got up and then i was doing my morning read of twitter and same thing i got the hey like you know apparently adobe's been in talks to acquire figma and for me it was just like scroll up scroll up and it's live, <laughs> like they've been acquired. And I was like, ah, there we go, there we go. And then obviously like a million takes uh, immediately. Yeah. I think I was surprised by this because I didn't think this was something that Figma wanted. I'm, I have, I'm absolutely not surprised from Adobe's side. <laughs> Maybe the only surprise is yeah. that Adobe had 20 billions. <laughs> in the bank to buy figma but well it's also a lot of stock yeah yeah yeah. not just cash but yeah Yeah, fair enough it's pretty clear why adobe would want figma i think it was less clear to me why figma needs adobe i think the key thing is 20 billion (laughs) Uh, i think um, 
like all the the reactions were uh, like all over the map. I saw if you wanted to like classify or divide them, it was like you had a bunch of people who were like happy for the Figma team and saying like, congrats this is huge, and then a lot of other folks being pretty sad, angry, disappointed, negative feelings over this. Uh, and I think even the uh, so Dan Petty and a bunch of like design Twitter. They put a they, they got on a Twitter space like the the live space thing so a, lot, a bunch of people joined in I, I did too just listening to you know just people talking about it also the following day uh, on Friday Figma themselves held an, uh, also a Twitter space mm. the clubhouse thing <laughs> <laughs> they all got together like it was coming from official Figma people Dylan was there and a bunch of Figma figmates were there just talking about it and answering questions from the community I also attended couldn't stay all the way through but. Uh, like I had a birthday uh, dinner, and so I biked there. And on my way, I was like listening to the Twitter live. Oh, nice! And then as I got there, I was just like standing outside the restaurant, just like because I was I wanted to listen to the thing. So I, <laughs> everyone's like, "What is Rafa doing?" So, <laughs> for like twenty minutes, I was just pacing outside a restaurant, like listening. <laughs> um, but I eventually had to go in and couldn't. I didn't stay for the whole thing, so I might have missed some things. Um, mm-hmm. Just for context, and I think based on those conversations, mostly like those lives that I saw, just people talking about it, I was I was very frustrated with the questions that have been asked, and just it felt like people in general, the reactions were a bit naive. I think, mm. and I think it's impossible. It's impossible to talk about this acquisition just focusing and looking at the product and like as a user and ignoring the business aspect of it. (laughs) But I think it's also wrong to just talk about this from a business point of view, because that's not why people are disappointed or angry or or anxious and stuff like that's not it. So it's, it's hard to talk about one part of this without acknowledging the other, but also without ignoring the other part. So I think I would I just I want to start by talking about the business side. As you did mention, it's not surprising that Adobe would be interested in acquiring Figma. Maybe a bit more from Figma's side. Like right. I think Figma. I wonder what their growth was looking like. Right. Like I don't know if they hit a tricky point in where in terms of growth. Like they didn't. Maybe it was getting more and more tricky and challenging to expand the business. Mm-hmm. I have no inside knowledge. Like I'm just speculating here at this point. But I could see this. Like they were in a tricky spot because they kind of capture that market. They've always been pretty clear that they were competing with Adobe in a lot of ways. Adobe has way broader. Like they have their own suite of stuff. And so I think maybe Figma could have been looking into expanding their product lines and did that recently with Fig Jam, but they probably wanted to expand and compete with other areas of design. I don't know. This is, again, me speculating, but I could see them getting in a tough spot. Like, I don't know where else we're going to go from here. And so maybe they were like looking for an exit or something or getting, I don't know, pressure from investors. We never know how this thing's you know, play out internally. And also Dylan has been doing this for 10 years and it's not (laughs) easy. Mm. So anyway, and then from Adobe's side, yes, they were pretty much like, they didn't have an option on this. Like, I think that they had to do this because I know a lot of, I think just a couple days before this, wasn't there like a news that broke that like Adobe was feeling pressure because like Microsoft was getting all these big contracts with Figma, I think, and maybe dropping them with Adobe. I don't know, but I could see Adobe being afraid of like losing this market. 
right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not now, but like in five years. So they kind of had to do something about it. Yeah. Because they lost the XD versus Figma game. They lost that battle. They could not recapture that. So Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's why I think Adobe getting Figma is really valuable for Adobe is I think when companies like this decide to drop Adobe, they drop all of Adobe. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, you know, they'll also drop the video side. They'll also drop, like, all of these other services. And I think Adobe found themselves in a position, and I think they've benefited greatly from that for many years, of companies just getting the creative suite and then having companies pay essentially for everything, even though their teams only use a small subset of that. And I think, I mean, it seems to me like more and more of the digital work is either product design, like graphic design and like video 3D work, it seems like in the creative space. And so I think Adobe not having anything there really hurt them. And then more and more companies are like, hey, we're moving to Figma anyways. How about all these other apps? We have some people use them, but not enough to justify. And a lot of these decisions are made company-wise. And so, like, I think, you know, once these start going away, then people, even if, like, one random person needs something, like a piece of Adobe software, it's like, oh, yeah, but, like, we're not really doing this. Like, we're not in any contracts with Adobe with any of these. So, like, please use, like, another easier alternative. And so I think they found themselves in a place where not having that sort of central key app for a lot, a huge segment of the market meant that Adobe was also missing out on all these other potential like add-ons that they could sell and so i think now if they bring it back to i would bet this is probably the first place where they integrate which is ah you're already paying for figma oh yeah we can just add this extra app onto your bill like if you need it and make it dead easy for people to do that i can guarantee you they will sell extra subscriptions that way even if they make no change to the figma product which is what they've sort of said is like, hey, for at least the foreseeable future, mm-hmm. teams going to operate independently. Like, I think it's, you can look at it, you know, from the perspective of just billing alone <laughs> to just be like, yeah, like Adobe's going to try to integrate billing and make that really easy and make it easy for you to give them their money for all the other apps. Uh, yeah, I want to come back to that point later in the discussion of like trying to predict the timeline, what's going to happen. Right, because also that's a big one. People are a bit anxious over. Right, <laughs> what does this mean? What's going to happen? We can we can try to, to predict. I don't know, just speculate on what do we think might happen. But before we get there, you touch on an interesting point. I think the the business model, the whole like creative cloud suite of apps that Adobe has going for it, it's been both a weakness and a strength. Yep. Right, like you could see that, like, hey, you could. Do you want to pay for Photoshop? If you pay for it, you can also get all these Illustrator, all these other apps that it just increases the value of what you're paying for. But on the flip side, and this has happened to me a lot, like I just want Photoshop. Like I, that's the thing I'm looking for. And here I am just having to pay for all of these other apps because the price is in there as well. All of these other apps. Uh, that I don't need and just going to add bloat and just add a bunch of that stuff. So again, that can be a turn off and a turn on for a lot of different uh, users. And I think maybe that it's been leaning more on the 
weakness instead of strength over time. I, I wonder if that's been hurting them more. Um, yeah, I mean, it's leaning towards weakness and strength, right? Like, that's the thing about all of these strategic uh, like positioning is that I do think they get to benefit a lot from, a, like, they're making a lot of money. I mean, <laughs> clearly, with this, mm-hmm. like acquisition, with that, it's just that it's pushing them more and more into irrelevance, right? I think it's a great way to milk the cow, but I don't know mm. if it's a great way to acquire net new users. Yeah, and also a testament to Figma's value. The space they carved in the industry for them in the market, they have the, this pull, <laughs> $20 billion worth, you know, pull <laughs> uh, over Adobe. That's incredible. So that's, that's kind of the business side. It makes sense right like once you get an offer like that it's it's really hard to say no like not just because it's a lot of money and money is good and people want money but also you're tired it's 10 years and there's not a lot you know it's it's hard like and i think this it would looking ahead maybe five ten years and where both companies want to be this merge makes sense in that way right because like like we just said adobe needs figma in this place and figma was a threat for them and i think for figma again I don't know what their plans were to expand or whatever, but like they need more, right? Like they need something else. And this is one way to do that. And that's the thing that the Horn have been tooting, right? Like we're going to bring in Adobe expertise. We can do so much stuff now. We have at our disposal these like experts in 3D rendering, in uh, video stuff, in animation, right? From like After Effects and all that. Mm-hmm. That's like the story they're, they're telling also, right? We have access to so many more resources. But Let's steer the conversation now to the product side and like as a user, as a designer that spends most of their time in this tool. I think when you focus on those people, like that's where you see the more negative reactions, right? That's it. That's what we're mad at. (laughs) I've seen also some people frame this as a betrayal. They feel betrayed because, and that was my meme of like, you know, you were supposed to defeat the Sith, the not join them, right? Like, the, <laughs> yeah. Their whole thing was like, we're not Adobe. Like, we do things different. We are lean and mean, and we're a startup, and we look at the speed of what we ship stuff, and our tool is so much simpler than Adobe XD and uh, whatever it was. Like, they were like not being Adobe was part of what made them appealing and different. And so now them joining Adobe feels like, well. <laughs> What gives? What the hell? <laughs> this is not supposed to, like, it was, you know, uh, it's different. And I think I also saw some people um, draw comparisons to when Microsoft acquired GitHub, that a lot of people freaked out because they maybe didn't like Microsoft or something. And then look at us. I don't know how many years it's been already, but suffice to say, it's been fine. GitHub is doing fine. I don't agree that that's a good comparison because Microsoft and GitHub were not clear competitors, right? In, in the way that Figma and Adobe clearly were <laughs> maybe sure adobe had a wider spread but they have a competing products right they're, they're gonna sunset apparently xd that is and it was not only that but i think the brand figma had like a reputation figma was cool like figma was you know if you're a cool designer now there's product designer you're gonna use figma right like what else right? that's the thing that's the, the perception there is around their brand was that it's it's modern it's cool it's fast it's good while adobe probably had like the opposite reputation like when you thought of adobe software it's the opposite it's slow it's 
bloated. It's old. It's again, it's like I couldn't think of like the, just the more extreme opposites, right? So when these two join, it just feels like it hurts a little bit because like you wanted the opposite of it. So what do you think? Yeah, I don't think people should feel the feelings that you describe, like feel disappointed or feel you know like Figma didn't uphold you know its ends here like because i don't think they've ever promised to really like maybe it was the anti-adobe in people's mind but like i don't know i don't think people should get mad because of that like what figma has done is have strong belief about the future of design tools and they've created that and they've delivered on that over and over again over the years and i think their actions speak louder than this acquisition really like i think you should only be mad at them if they start making poor decisions in the product but i think i would at least give them the benefit of the doubt here with this acquisition that yeah like i don't use a tool like and maybe that's something that like some people are learning here is like the tool you use shouldn't be your entire personality right i mean and we've seen similar things with like the apple community for example like so many people it's so frustrating like you say anything bad about apple like replies will be filled with you know just random people like coming in and telling That's you crazy. you're wrong and you're like yeah but also like i'm a designer who's been operating in this field and i have many like much more experience about this than you do and probably they it's also something they're gonna fix so anyways like i just think it's wise to not attach your own personality to a specific tool for things like this and that's just the reality of the world like these acquisitions do happen and companies do evolve and like there's a reason why we hear the saying right you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain like it's just the natural way of things in terms of product i mean it's hard to talk about this topic without talking about what we think is going to happen so i don't know if you want to transition into that well just to that before we do just to that i think it's i agree you shouldn't you shouldn't really get too attached to tools because well they go away these are businesses right this is companies but i think it's okay for people to feel sad feel mad feel angry disappointed all those feelings are okay because it is you know whether you like it or not like you spend so much time using the tool spend so much time in the community and like tuning in to their conferences and like cheering them when they ship cool new features and it's it becomes part of your life in a way they're like whether you like it or not and yes this is gonna happen right this this stuff is gonna happen but i think it's okay to feel that like i felt that i was disappointed i was frustrated because i don't and i guess this is as good as any other transition like i don't i don't have high hopes that this will this is going to be positive long term uh, for the product. Just, I agree with you that like you know actions speak louder than words, and like Figma so far has proven that they won't disappoint us. Like they've been doing good things, right? That's why as popular as as it is. But I've seen enough acquisitions <laughs> to kind of to have a good sense of how they usually go about and what what usually happens. So th- that blog post of like. We're going to remain independent and, you know, have no no plans to like make this part of the creative cloud suite or whatever. That means I believe that 
people internally believe that, right? Yeah, okay, we can talk about just predictions. Here's what I think is going to happen. For the next year or two, like this acquisition actually takes quite a while to fully resolve and, you know, make happen. Like they have to go through a bunch of regulators and get approval and this takes time. This could take a year. I don't know. It could take a while. So I think for the next year or two, nothing much is going to change, right? It's probably going to be going to go about like it always has been. We're going to see config next year. We're going to see some new improvements or whatever. It's fine. But I think after a bunch of these people who joined, like they're signing bonuses or whatever, like once whatever vests, <laughs> I think they're really tired and they deserve a break and they need that break. So they're going to go away. Um, they're going to step down a bit probably because they're not, they're tired. This again, how I usually see this thing plays out. And then all these people that were like at, like leading the charge and like at the helm of when this happened, they're not there anymore. So there's other people. And then all of a sudden, even though they're going to try to remain independent for as much as they can or whatever, like Adobe doesn't want to screw up Figma. Like that's not their intention. It never is. That would be just the worst (laughs) move, business move ever. They don't want to ruin it. They never do. Adobe doesn't want to be bad, <laughs> but it's just a really big company. This whole thing of like, we're going to bring expertise and we're going to be able to do a lot more and a lot faster. I can't see that because like usually the thing with big companies is that they do move slower. So having all this expertise available or resources or whatever, I don't think it's going to allow them to move faster. If anything, it's just going to just going to take longer to make sure it integrates with all the other services or whatever. And I agree with you that the first first shoe to drop will probably be some kind of either people who are paying for figma can also now use some of the other adobe products or if you're a subscriber to like creative cloud they can have figma enterprise embedded in a part of the plan or something something like that and then you can probably log into your figma thing with your adobe account uh and like that's probably where we're gonna see these things and it's just yeah i'm gonna let you talk a bit <laughs> i'm getting <rubbed. laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, I've seen a lot of different takes on Twitter of what people think is going to happen. And I think it's very easy to get very pessimistic and negative about this. I'm going to try to take the optimistic take on this one. And I know that by taking this take is maybe not the most likely thing to happen. And maybe there's an element of wishful thinking in it. But I feel like it's maybe underrepresented in some of the dialogue that I've heard. (laughs) So here's what I think is best case scenario of Adobe Figma. For me, it would be like, look, digital design is a huge market segment. Adobe has poured tons of money, honestly, in trying to build Adobe XD. They've learned how difficult it is to get to a compelling product in that space and they've tried with their own means and you know adobe xd attempted to be lighter than you know photoshop and illustrator and all of these Mm -hmm. and still didn't succeed in the market really and so they know both how hard it is and two they know hopefully they know where they failed like they know how like they couldn't do this even though they like poured Tons and tons of resources added, mm-hmm. presumably. And I think this is a market that Adobe can't afford to lose. Like, I, I just don't think Adobe can keep being Adobe without the digital design user segment. Yeah, sure. 
don't get me wrong, like there's other important segments. Like I'd say probably the video editing side is probably very big. Lightroom and yeah, yeah I guess I forgot about Lightroom. Like so they have other segments, but I do th- really think that especially if you look at where the world is growing is going and where the growth is, I think you're going to have a lot more designers and developers and, you know, people who need to collaborate in a like digital whiteboard, like FigJam into the future. And so I feel like Figma is kind of from Adobe's perspective is where the growth is. And I think the first thing they should do, I mentioned this before, but integrate the billing. Like I think that's that plays to Adobe's strengths and doesn't really ruin Figma. I think they've lost that sort of opportunity to essentially upsell big companies over extra tools. And so if it makes it easy for companies to say, hey, we have this person that like for six months is going to be doing video editing. Let's just like add them onto the plan that we're already paying for. And we just have, you know, we're just paying extra for that person while they're using the the tool that they need i think that'll actually be good for companies good for adobe good for everyone what i think adobe should do is learn a lot from figma like i think they should treat this as a bit of a reverse acquisition sort of next style in here because (laughs) i think what they should do is they should tear apart the sort of like adobe updater part of creative cloud it feels like one giant monolith like i think they should start chipping away at that and find a better a better sort of middle ground for people right we talk about how that's both a strength and a weakness but i think there's a lot of pieces that are really annoying like i refuse to install any adobe software on my computer why because it installs so much bloat on your computer like it's not possible to just say no no no, just give me the photoshop like even if you manage to find a plan where you can pay for just photoshop Mm -hmm. it's like no like you'll get that stupid menu bar thing and then it's gonna try to like install you a bunch of other stuff i think they should revisit that and figure out a much lighter way to have these apps operate and integrate together then I think obviously like they should give Figma all the resources that they need to continue down the path that they're already on, which I think is, you know, seems like they're doing really well. I'd be cautious about trying to overly integrate it with other apps. Like I think this is where like that would probably be a cause for concern if they go like really far down, like trying to integrate things, because I think like just conceptually the model of Figma of live collaboration of everyone. It's just not really how any of these other apps work. And a lot of these other apps have a lot of bloat in them. But again, I think that Figma's model of having something, as much as I hate to say it, like a mostly web-powered kind of interface is probably a better way to do these cross-platform tools. And so I think Adobe, again, can learn a lot from Figma to be like, hey, it would be way easier for us to do some of our apps using this. Now, I know that something like Photoshop and something like Final Cut is probably difficult um, to do in in this way because you need a lot of the raw power of the computer. But I do think that's something that Adobe should be learning from them. And then from Figma's side, I think the big question for me is like, how does Figma keep growing and expanding? Because 
as much as I think this is like a growth area for Adobe, if you look at it from the Figma side, I don't know at what rate there's like new designers come on board and new folks jump on Figma that are already using Figma. Like, I don't know what that looks like. It's hard to measure. But I do think that probably in the next couple of years, they'll need to do two things. One is introducing new ways of making money and then two would be making more money from the existing users and so i think figma should try to find ways to be even more deeply integrated into people's workflows find more ways to be useful for people so that they can afford to charge more or for them to Again, this is where it's like maybe there's some aspects where they can leverage some things from Adobe to create some other net new tool to add to your workflow to warrant charging an extra subscription. And then for my last thing is like going into specific things that I would like to see Figma take advantage of. It's like, yeah, there's the animation stuff, I guess, a little bit. But again, I don't know how much they're gaining from Adobe. I think the vector editing aspect is where I think Figma should really adopt a lot from Adobe and from Illustrator. Just ways that you can, like, smooth curves, ways that you can... Uh, one of the features that I still miss to this day is the ability to import like an image and have it vectorized for me. Like there's a lot of these operations that I think are really useful and would really make a huge improvement to people's workflows that, you know, Adobe has access to. I think they need to adopt these features in a a unique Figma way, not just copy the way that they're implemented in other Adobe software. Uh, But again, I'm optimistic. They couldn't even just copy because like Mm -hmm. the way it's implemented, like, you know, that code, it doesn't really translate. So they have to rewrite all of that. And sure, they can take some of the math and logic behind it, but I think it's that's not an easy integration, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these things are doable. Will they happen tomorrow morning? Maybe not, but like they would essentially have to move whatever processing they're doing to the cloud, and then they're actually like running this in the server, not on the computer, which is, again, it's like, as you're building these cross-platform tools, that's actually a better model to be building things against the cloud versus against multiple you know, different computers and OSs and, and whatnot. So that vector integration, I think, would be great. I also think they could probably steal a couple things from Photoshop like and start to encroach on that. How much are people, I mean, maybe to the thread about like Figma is not a design tool or whatever, like how much are people often talking and complaining about how Figma doesn't give you that sort of level of flexibility and granularity that Photoshop does? Like, I don't know, maybe we're like a couple of years as a design industry to be going much deeper into certain kinds of effects that are not really possible today with the current design tools. We've seen a bunch of stuff with the dynamic island of like really interesting effects Mm -hmm. that would just be hard to do or impossible to do in Figma. So could they bring some of that stuff over with more of that raw sort of like knowledge of how to do these things from Adobe? Maybe. So that's at least what I'm hoping or like what I think would be the best case scenario from the the merger of these two companies is I think Adobe should treat this as a huge learning opportunity. Agreed. They should be more interested in how they change Adobe to match Figma than how they change Figma to match Adobe. I think the biggest short-term opportunity is around billing and getting people to 
you know, have access to the rest of Adobe software. And then from Figma's perspective, it's really about how they become even more essential to more workflows, to more people so they can keep growing. Totally agreed. And I, I don't want to sound too down. Like, I think if I had to bet <laughs> on the stock market, no, if I had to bet, I would say I'm not optimistic, like long term about this thing for the product. Anyway, I think short term will be fine. I think they business wise is good for everyone. I think, and this is the the most important thing for me to to say here. I think I think everyone involved in this has the best intentions, and they really want to make this work. Like I don't think anyone has ill intentions. Anyone, no one is like evil trying to destroy this. Like the business people, are like yes, put ads in it or whatever. I don't think that's the case ever. And I I know a lot of people at Figma who are incredible people incredible sense of products and they're just like us a lot of them like designers who also use a product and they want the good stuff for them you know what i mean like there's no yep. there's no evil intentions nothing like that so i true i believe in them that they have our interests uh, at heart and they'll do the best thing they can do now I, again i'm not optimistic long term because i've seen a lot of acquisitions like similar to, to this one play out I don't think one of the first things we'll see is like that type of like integration, like vector editing from Illustrator and stuff. I think it'll be a long, long time for that to happen because it's just technically so hard. So they'll probably start with like the low hanging fruits, like like we said, billing, and then like oh, you can have your type kit fonts in the font selector. That's nice and that's easy. And then oh, you can have access to the Adobe stock images, right? Like there's like all these plugins like Unsplash and stuff. You can probably pull stuff from there and maybe like easy sharing or embeds of figma stuff in, in prototypes in behance uh so those uh, low-hanging fruits are probably the first things we'll see and and all of those are like positive it doesn't really detract much from the product itself but it's impossible to ignore the incentive of like synergy and tight integration with all of our properties right and that's that's a hard battle to fight internally so congrats to everyone at figma i think this is really cool and very exciting for everyone. Keep up the good fight, <laughs> you know. Prove us wrong. Like I'm, I'm a Figma user. I'm that's why I'm so invested in, you know, energized about this whole thing. There's a lot of feelings, but these feelings come from the fact that we're all really invested in this because it's such a good product that we love and use. So yeah, and I would say also another positive side to this, which I don't know what happened to me. Why am I the positive person in this conversation? Yeah. But. <laughs> I is, uh, I mean, the way a lot of, you know, all startups work with equity means that I think as part of this acquisition, a lot of designers are now, you know, have a positive uh, <laughs> source of income as part of this acquisition through their stocks. And they now have the opportunity to sell that stock or if they like truly believe in the, the future of the company to just, you know, take a further bet on the company. But I think, you know, a lot of people work really hard to get the company where it is today. And I feel happy for that for many of them. They can now reap the rewards of a lot of these yep. these efforts. And so I think there's that's also another great positive for, for the folks involved. Any last words you want to say on this? No, I think that's it. I mean, I guess we'll just have to see. I'm sure we'll have more conversations about this in the coming months. And yeah. for me, it's like... I don't want to judge people on their intention because I don't think it's fair to be mad at someone because you think their intentions aren't there. Because, mm -hmm. again, 
I always try to assume positive intent in these situations. And I think Mm -hmm. everyone that we've ever talked to from Figma has been very nice and had the best intentions. So I don't see any, anything that would tell us otherwise. But what we should judge them on is on their execution. And so let's see what happens as part of this acquisition, how they're navigating the decisions. And I think that will be a much more, fairer place to judge them and judge uh, adobe yeah <laughs> just like now one and the same which feels weird to say but yeah it had to happen at some point i guess and and like i said it's going to be years until we see anything coming from this so whatever happens at the next config that's you know doesn't count it's all good the things are still going to be untouched for a while so you know i think now we can only say gather the crowd <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see who gets this (laughs) reference if you get this reference dm us on twitter or just reply normal reply is also fine (laughs) dm us reply or shout it aloud whatever whatever you want (laughs) (laughs) we are sponsored once again by zeppelin and in our last episode we covered the design handoff problems that zeppelin solves today Josh is back on the show. He's a developer advocate at Zeppelin, and he's here to talk to us about their origin story and a bit about what's changed over the years, because there's been lots that's changed uh, since Zeppelin got started. Tell us a bit more about what that landscape looked like. Yeah, so if you've been in the design game for a while now, Zeppelin's probably a household name. And around 2014, when Sketch was super popular, design handoff was still being done by manually redlining design files and then given to developers. And our four co-founders were designers and developers at that time, so they deeply understood the problems that product teams were facing. And the first version of Zeppelin automatically detected all the technical specs a developer would need, saving thousands of users the pain of redlining designs in PDF files. Okay, so now if we fast forward by 2018, when design tools were becoming more mature, uh, we saw Figma enter the scene. Everyone already had specs, but Zeppelin's user base kept growing and growing. So what happened? Well, during that time, designer tools became more powerful, but we've also seen that people are demanding more from their design tools. So for example, a Figma project has multiple pages, hundreds of screens, and people are drawing arrows to show flows right in their design tools. And people are creating text layers to document API endpoints also. And we see all these hacky workarounds to manage increasing complexity. And the result of that is that designers are working slower, developers are getting confused, and people are literally doing these Figma training sessions for the developers. And we really feel that asking developers to go into Figma to try to understand the interaction between hundreds of screens is just as complicated as asking a designer to go into a code base. And the issue is most apparent at large organizations, but we see this friction really at any organization with more than a handful of developers. And so this is where Zeppelin comes in, right? Exactly. So Zeppelin provides an easy-to-use workspace optimized for developers, PMs, and other non-designers to consume design files. And how do we do it? Well, first, Zeppelin has a strong design project organization system. So for example, in your 100-screen file, you might have 10 screens about user sign-up, and you can put all 10 of those screens together in the same section without having to draw a box around them in your design tool. Or say you have three states of the same screen, mobile, tablet, and web, And in Zeppelin, you can set these as screen variants, so when you're looking at the file, you know that all three screens are related. And the other feature that we're really proud of is flows. Today, users are just arranging their screens sequentially to show the user journey, and sometimes they're drawing arrows and text labels, 
and this just takes up a ton of time and creates clutter. So we built a feature called Flows, and it's everything you could want in a user journey map builder. Connectors, text labels, groups, shapes, it's all built in. And what we mean by that is that users don't need to build these custom layers in their design tool that we're talking about. It just saves a ton of time and is much easier to read for the rest of the team. That is so interesting. Thank you so much, Josh, for joining us on the show. And more importantly, huge thanks to Zeppelin for sponsoring this week's episode of Layout. Designers, if you're not using Zeppelin, you're missing out. Go check them out at zeppelin.io. Once again, thanks to Zeppelin for sponsoring this week's episode of Layout. All right, what do you think about your new iPhone 14 Pro? Kevin Clark, it's been an hour. Do we have time for this? We have to. It's not going to be relevant after that. And it's only been 49 <laughs> minutes. So okay. let's let's get through this. <laughs> Quick first impressions of uh, iPhone 14 Pro. Context, I upgraded from a 12 Pro. I skipped last year. I don't think anyone needs to upgrade to this phone if you have like 12 or more recent, even maybe 11. It's fine. It's great. Does anyone need to upgrade to any phone ever? <laughs> okay, I'll rephrase. Not need. The price of this phone, I don't think it's worth the upgrade for a lot of people. With that said, I did upgrade. Wait. I'm not going to return. I want to talk. I just like want to jump in on okay. this real quick because people <laughs> always ask folks like, oh, like, should we get it? And like the Verge always every year trying to make some sort of like oh, you probably shouldn't, like, you probably should wait until next year. Like, according to The Verge, you would literally never buy a phone uh, because there's always (laughs) another one (laughs) coming and last year's phone was totally fine and you should keep that. And the reality is, like, there's no way to recommend it because no one ever really needs another phone, okay? Like, even a phone from many, many years ago is totally fine. But on the other hand, having a new phone is nice it's the device you use the most in probably your entire life okay you spend the most time and hours using this thing and so what you have to do is look at okay how much does this cost okay Uh what is the delta that this is going to give me and is it the best place to invest these dollars right so you should definitely make sure you have a, a home right a safe place where you can stay you should definitely make sure you have enough food okay you should uh, make sure you can have clothes to wear you should make sure you can transport yourself wow. to your job you should like like there's a long list of things that you should make sure and then after that you're like okay whatever is left like depending on how much money you have left then it's up to you to figure out how you invest these dollars and what's going to be the most beneficial okay but i would tell you like investing in a phone is not a bad place to put your money if you have that money because you will use that device more than anything else i guarantee you so it's like you make your own judgment like everyone's situation is different and for you it might not be important if it's not important then do something else like it's totally fine no one's forcing you to buy a phone that you don't need or don't not want it's up to you to allocate your budget the way that you want and that's basically (laughs) welcome to my ted talk on this topic like there's nothing that i can do to recommend it for you i can tell you what i like about it i can tell you what i don't like about it but ultimately we all have to make those decisions for ourselves Tell me how you really feel about this topic. I think it's pointless of people to try to make some sort of judgment for other people on 
whether or not they should or shouldn't update their phone. That's very true. Uh, thank you for this. Uh, I, <laughs> it doesn't change how I feel about this and the, the point I was trying to make, which is it's a relatively minor upgrade even for someone who was upgrading from two-year phone or two generations ago. And as someone who cares and about these little details and like, ooh, but the refresh rate, like, you know, at, like I'm already at the top of the nerdiness. Even for me, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's mostly the same. So that's the angle I was trying to, to get at here. It's like, it's such a small upgrade. Uh, and a lot of the stuff that we've seen in the keynote, uh, like the 48 megapixel camera, I think the specs were a bit more impressive than the reality, like the just day-to-day thing. Like the pictures... Of course, the first minute I got the phone and set it up, like the first thing I did was just take my old phone, my new phone, side by side, take a picture or take a bunch. All the cameras, the 0.5, the one, I think we all do this. And looking at them side by side, I was like, yeah, I guess it's a bit sharper over there in the main <laughs> camera. Sure. And I guess the, you, you can see the bigger, the bigger difference in, in low light situations, but like the first time I mm-hmm. use it. It was day out, bright, whatever. Even the dynamic island, which is like incredibly exciting, is so cool, so fun, and I love it. It's still in its current state. It's like, I mean, I like it. It doesn't really change how I use my phone in any meaningful way, except uh, Apollo uh, with a little uh, Tamagotchi friend up there. <laughs> uh, you know, so quite minor. I think I think it's not. It wasn't a letdown by any means. I'm not going to return that phone. And I'm really happy with it. But it it felt maybe after the keynote, it it felt like this was going to be a bigger jump than in practice than than what it was now promotion is nice because again i skipped last year dynamic island is so cool again doesn't change much day to day but i i like it uh little like details that i (laughs) i think i i can't wait for to see third-party apps uh integrate with the island did you see the game (laughs) saw that game yep play with it (laughs) yeah that was (laughs) cool. cool i'm a bit concerned that like we'll get an over adoption then all of the single apps that you use, like when you... Break the safe for the dynamic <laughs> island. You heard it here first. Like every single app, when you swipe home, you get a new thing there, and then you can only have two at the same time or whatever. So we're probably going to see that a bit. Like apps shouldn't really be adopting the island are there, right? They should move to the island, but they still did. That's my <laughs> prediction <laughs> that's going to happen. With that said, I am working on booby track thing, but I think that one does make sense. <laughs> so... Yeah, what else? The camera bump, holy poops, that's massive, again, from the 12. And uh, what else is new on this phone? I haven't had a car crash yet, so that's good. <laughs> uh, I still have a SIM card. My experience transferring stuff to this phone was a bit rocky because of the eSIM thing. Mm. Because my main line was an eSIM on a 12, and I have a dual SIM thing. So as you go through the the transfer process and i use the like transfer phone to phone transfer because gruber was saying yeah this is the way to do it all right yeah that's also what i did yeah i trust these people who transfer phones like demo you know like test devices (laughs) multiple times a year they probably are the experts on this matter um so i did that and i think it took like 20 minutes to transfer everything i was surprised to see that actually all the apps still have to be downloaded after the fact I got all the progress at bars and, and all of them. Yep. So that took a long time, actually. I remember that at least from an iCloud restore, like backup restore, I thought they would prioritize apps like in your dock and then maybe on the first home screen. Yeah. But that didn't seem to be the case here. And then as I was trying to transfer my eSIM, like the actual flow, the UI 
asks you, do you want to transfer from this phone? And I said, yes, I do. And then it does a little dance, and then it says, sorry, we couldn't really do that. I'm like, what the hell? There's other options. And when an option was like QR code and whatever, and I tried those, and it couldn't really do it. And then I Googled for like T-Mobile Netherlands. What the hell? How do you transfer an eSIM? Because like, this is not new to this phone. Like mm-hmm. on the 13, people also had to transfer eSIMs. And so I had to be in line to like some customer support thing, chat. And then the person told me, oh, yeah, you can't really transfer eSIMs. And then I had to figure out that I had to just order a new eSIM and then activate that eSIM and all that jazz. It was a bit rocky. But in the transfer flow, after you transfer everything, on your old phone, the thing you see is, all right, everything's transferred. Do you want to erase this phone if you wish to sell it or give it to someone or something? Mm -hmm. Which is nice and and convenient. Like, thanks for, you know, that's probably what I want to do eventually. But (laughs) don't do that before you transfer all your things and make sure all your banking apps are in order. Yep. <laughs> make sure that in this case your eSIMs and everything is is transferred and logged in. Don't forget about your Google Authenticator apps and all that stuff. Don't do that. I know the UI is telling you like, all right, all done. Do you want to do this next thing? Do you want to erase your phone? Don't. Well, why am I so passionate about this? Because my wife, uh, Deborah, she bought a new phone. Uh, this weekend, she got a 13 Mini because <laughs> oh. she wanted a Mini. She was waiting for like a new Mini. There was no Mini. <laughs> <laughs> Consensus seems to be the 14. It's pretty much the same as the 13. So if you really want a Mini, this is probably like the last good year to buy a Mini. <laughs> so she did. And again, she went through the whole process just like I did with the one exception that like the phone, the Mini, of course, was still, still came with iOS 15. So... As you go through all the flow, then you get to a point where like, actually, I can't do that because you need to upgrade to iOS 16 first. So that breaks the whole flow. Uh, It doesn't wait. It doesn't tell you like, all right, update to iOS 16. I'll wait. No, you have to just, it kicks you back to the end of the line. You have to go through the process all over again Mm -hmm. and transfer everything. And then she sees that screen saying, all right, all done. Do you want to erase this old phone? And she said, okay. And then try to log into iCloud. Right, it asks you to verify your iCloud password and stuff and Apple IDs, and she puts in a password and says, "All right, I sent you a text message to Factor," and she's like, "Crap! Well, I don't have access to this phone yet." And then she tries to to order a new eSIM, just like I did. I told her, "Like, oh, actually, I'm glad I've already went through this. I know it. I can tell you exactly what I have to do. Go to this web page, order a new eSIM. She does that to activate the eSIM. They still need to text you like a code. Mm, so okay. make sure you still have access to your number. And guess what? She didn't anymore." <laughs> Because it was an eSIM and that phone no. was clean. So now then she had to wait like a whole day to go to a store. So for the whole day, she couldn't install any apps. It was, no phone number. No, nothing. It was a nightmare. <laughs> so we need to do better here. <laughs> Yikes. But all this to say that like it's still messy. Like the experience of getting a new phone, transferring all of your stuff is still a negative experience. It's, it's, yeah. No one wants to go through that. It's It should be exciting to get, to have a new phone, but... It's still annoying. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I didn't have as bad of an experience as you did, but just even doing the phone-to-phone transfer first, I mean, it seems like it's the preferable option for people to take because that's the one that transfers Mm -hmm. all of your stuff versus if you go iCloud, I think some encrypted stuff doesn't get carried over. I think so too, yeah. It's not very clear. Like, I don't know that any normal person would know that that is the preferred option that they should take. But even when you do it, 
it's like no one wants their first experience getting a phone to be like a 45 minute watching a progress bar <laughs> like surely there's got to be something better that they can do about this experience i know this is a hard problem but like i feel like they've got to find some solutions here the other thing is i wanted to move to esim because it even like told me during the process like hey do you want to move to esim i was like sure and then it was like oh your carrier doesn't support that which is weird because my carrier does support it but i didn't chase down i was like i ended up just transferring the sim card and i was like okay i'll deal with it next year when (laughs) there's no sim tray (laughs) in, in my phone next year but uh Yeah, other than that, it was pretty smooth. And then I got the new phone. I also saw the option at the end. I was like, no, I am not not (laughs) erasing my phone. Also, because I want to be able to take side-by-side pictures uh, and all that. And so if you erase Mm. it, then you kind of have to like reset it up and like re-go through all of that. And so who wants that? There's also, I mean... Again, I kind of understand why they want to you to erase it because it's a nicer flow. But the, then there's this like weird period of time where you essentially have two identical phones side by side, and I would get notifications, and then like yeah. both phones would just like, and then things kind of get weirdly quickly out of sync mm. from there, and so you can't really operate that way for very long. But yeah, it's kind of interesting how like you really can only realistically have one main phone. Like it's not really viable to keep two. I don't know why you would want to, but at least for like testing purposes, it's a little tricky. I yeah, I was coming from the 13 Pro, and I think 100%. I mean, I would do any upgrade just to get the promotion screen, which I already had, right? So, but like in your position, you're like, eh, I don't know if it was worth it for you. Heck yeah, it was worth it. Like, you (laughs) need this. Like, I just challenge you to go back to your old phone and try to use it now after you're used to promotion it will just feel broken i can do this right now so have my phone here wait so that i do think is a is a meaningful update for me i actually really enjoy the always on the lock screen i have my phone on my desk most of the day Hmm. it's nice to have it also, a weird thing, like while I'm having lunch, I'll often be listening to podcasts or something while I'm eating. And it's nice to be able to like quickly glance at the time as I'm eating to know how much time I have left till my next meeting. Like there's just like a bunch of little like niceties. It is really interesting too when you put it in your pocket the screen fades out. So if you just block sort of the sensor on the screen, you'll see there's like a slow fade of the screen. So it tries to to preserve your battery as much as possible. I've seen a lot of reports online of people being like, ah, my battery's life's weird. Like it feels lower than the 13 Pro. I'm not sure. I actually don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell the battery life of a phone on the first day or so because it's just like so much stuff is transferring over and like all sorts of stuff is going on. So I don't know. Like, is the battery life the same? Is it worse? Should I turn off the always on screen when I don't need it? Like those sorts of things. I would love to see someone do a proper side by side comparison. I feel like a lot of the comparisons are not really realistic enough for people to have a good understanding of what it is. But at least from my usage, it doesn't seem to be a crazy drain on the battery life. It seems mostly fine. The cameras... Mm -hmm. I haven't done enough extensive testing to be able to tell. Although 
I can guarantee you the front-facing camera is way better <laughs> than the previous one, a lot sharper. I think a lot of the other aspects are going to be like, you're going to have to see it through your usage of the phone. So some of the stuff is like, oh, better low light performance. And if you compare the actual pictures, they may look the same as your previous one if you're static. But for example, like the new one might work better for moving subject in a, a darker environment. And so there's like always a lot of these little gotchas mm -hmm. to look out for when comparing. I do like just the fact that I have the 2x button. Like it could, might as well have been like a fake button, <laughs> right? And just like zoom in to things. But just the fact that I have that, mm -hmm. I really like. And I love the dynamic island. I think from a UI perspective as a designer, it's just like really fun to play with. I like having it. I'm often playing a podcast while being in something else. And so it's nice to be able to have access to quick controls in there. I love this, the idea of ambient computing. We talked about this last week a little bit, so I'm not going to rehash it. I do feel like after using it, I think it should be single tap to expand like the, I, I don't know how you call it, like the inline preview rather than jumping to the app. See, so I've seen you, I think you tweeted about this and I see a lot of people on Twitter mm -hmm. say that. I don't agree. I think it would feel weird to do like the two taps to go to the app or like the long thing. I think just iOS has that like long tap to get the little preview thing. Yeah, no, I agree. It just yeah. feels more in line with that. Yeah, so... I know that from a like logical standpoint it the way they have it makes sense it's just i never really want to use this as a quick jump mm -hmm. to the app like i like having the in context preview of the thing and so every time i'm interact with it interacting with it i'm pressing and holding and it just makes me wish for quicker easier access to these controls yeah i, I go back and forth on this but it didn't feel weird or wrong it didn't feel wrong to me but yeah i also see a lot of people say like oh it's an unreachable you know it's such bad thing to make people reach all the way to the top this is like people forget this is there because of the notch like stop <laughs> like this is not <laughs> it is what it is also i don't really think apple wants you to interact much with it right like it has this passive state for a reason right like it's yeah. you swipe up and it's there like it's additive not like as a, as a main way to interact with the os so yeah i agree i liked it that the so the first time you see the the island really like in action is when you're setting up face id when you're still on the setting up process mm -hmm. so you know how you have a little preview of your of your face and you have to like look around in a circle so that whole thing is that UI is inside the island. Because <laughs> I was waiting for it. Like, when I see the, the screen, like, hello. And like, yeah, okay, go, 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 do something. <laughs> do something cool, island. Yep. And that was cool. I still think that Face ID is still jarring to me when I see the Face ID coming from the island. Yeah. Especially, I think there's a couple places where it's just awkward. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think, what is the example? There's, like, I think one example when logging in or something, there's, like, a sheet that comes from the bottom. And there's actually two animations because there's the little animation in the sheet. It's the, like the Apple Pay thing. Or, yeah, there's yeah, some of that. I don't know. I, I don't think it was Apple Pay for me, but I think it's the same concept that's happening where it's just it seems like there's two different places that you're looking at. Like the sheet is at the bottom and that's where your eye's at and then you tap it and then there's something up at the top and it just feels disjointed. Yeah. 
No, I agree. It's still very much a V1, right? <laughs> also, I saw some people, and we talked about this in, in our stand-up today, that like the, the whole full-screen takeover, the MagSafe animation, it's way too slow. It takes way too long, yeah. and it's annoying. And I, I wish I could see that. It's similar to when you pair AirPods or something you see in the island. Maybe we could do that for MagSafe accessories as well. My favorite little demo, just if people... I don't know. Want to check out the phone and like, oh, show me the island stuff. It's the the ring switch, the mute switch on and off. Mm. One of my favorites because you have the little like the bell, like you know ringing and has a little animation it's cute yeah it's cool yeah so i mean again it's fun is it groundbreaking no like i and also even i would say in the real world like talking to other folks not something that is particularly interesting to normal people they're like oh okay whatever (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) some things that i've noticed that are interesting and i feel like i'm reinforcing i guess my first opinions on it but I still feel like the fact that there's a lot of sensors up there is just, boy, I wish, like, this is going to be so much greater when it's just a single camera. And especially for things like, for example, when your phone is locked, they want to show a little lock icon mm-hmm. in the dynamic island, okay? So you're like, oh, just an icon. You know, they don't have to make it that much bigger. But if they only put a, a thing on one side, then the island would not look centered, <laughs> right Mm -hmm. and so they actually put extra blank space on the other side making it even bigger just so that it looks like the island overall is centered and it's just like they're having i find that they're having to play a lot of these tricks essentially that end up making the island artificially bigger for i mean it's aesthetic purpose but it's sort of like which one is the lesser evil i guess but it's iconic and i think i i would land at the same space but it still feels like a pretty big black bar at the top of your phone but i i like the way it looks i think it's very iconic i've been having fun with it and i think it's a cool thing I, i don't know i I like it. Also, I think this was introduced into 13, but the speaker thing, you know, that was on the notch, the fact that it's like right on the edge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, right. So that's, that's new to me. I think looks really cool. <laughs> and it's actually way smaller in the 14 compared to the 13. Oh, okay. Still. okay. So they've changed the design in between, which I think I like. We're going to have to see with more usage. One of the things that happened on the 13 is sometimes like little pocket lint or crumbs mm. would kind of get in there and it'd be really hard to get them out i can see that um this one is smaller so it's potentially harder to get things out but it's also probably harder to get things in yeah <laughs> so uh, again time will tell we'll have to see also i think it was really interesting the fact that the first time the notch was introduced with iphone 10 in all those following years a lot of times the default wallpaper especially in the first ones the default wallpaper would try to hide the notch. So it would be like completely black at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that like it was like a planet yeah, yeah, yeah. or not a real planet, but like just on the side or something. So funny that this year the default wallpaper is like the, the exact opposite. It's a radial gradient, dark on the center and like bright at the corner. So it's really highlighting the island, the default wallpaper. So they're really going in. Like It's interesting to see the different approach yeah. to this little hardware thing. I don't like that they've removed the battery indicator when it's charging from the lock screen. Yeah, I hate that too. That's iOS 16, right? It's not specific to this one. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Huh, I didn't notice then. The space black 
it's not black enough for me. <laughs> Interesting. I'm like, this phone is so black. It's almost too black for me. <laughs> really? <laughs> But it's the difference is the rails versus the back. I think yes. the back is yes. more gray and looks closer to the previous one. Yes. But the sides are way blacker and yes. look have a lot less of that shiny look, yes. like reflective look. And I was like, oh, not that I miss it. I mean, I am happy with my choice. But next time around, I might go with a different color. Would you go white? The silver? I mean, I don't know. I might go gold. Wow. Okay. We'll see. <laughs> Good for you. We'll see. <laughs> I wish I had it in me. I can't do it. Or titanium. <laughs> that would be dope. Actually, that would be the preferred option. If I could go titanium, that would be cool. A uh, couple more things. I have links in the show notes there. But I think last episode we mentioned that the same person who designed the Dynamic Island was the person who worked on the Home Indicator. That person is... Chen Karunamuni, I believe. Apologies again, name pronunciations. We're always really bad at that. And they posted on Twitter an amazing video that runs through a ton of the interactions. Yes. And it's just like absolute chef's kiss. Like, I think this is incredible, incredible work. So inspiring. So cool to see these animations in detail. And I love the way that they presented them as well. Like, I think it's, it's really well done. And I got, part of me, like, I don't know what's going on at Apple, actually. <laughs> it's like, I feel like they should showcase some of these more on the website. I'm like, I don't know, guys. Like, it feels like Apple's lost the ability to showcase UI as much as they used to be. Like, I feel like they used to spend more time on stage discussing UI. Like, it feels like they're so shy. Yeah, that was their whole thing. Steve Jobs showing off UI and, like, building in a slow mode of to see the animations, you know? Yeah, like, I, I don't know. I feel like they could have just, like, leaned it even more into this and, like, how they're doing the animations and how all, like, there's a million little details in here. They're just really cool to see. Um, so you can see them uh, on Twitter, but not in any of Apple's actual material for some reason. I also saw a sort of like a mini backlash here of people sort of complaining about this person somehow taking credit for this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I didn't follow everything, but my take, it's totally fine for people to say that they worked on a thing. Like, it's okay. Like, we know you weren't the only person to work on this. Like, we're fine. Like, it's all good. If other people want to come forward and talk about the parts that they own in this or how they were also on this team, perfect. We'll more than happily <laughs> give them credit for this. But, like, I think it's fine, especially in a company like Apple, that, you know, the people who make that stuff take the back seat so often. So I'm like, Yeah, I mean, if they can <laughs> uh, take credit for these things, I think they should. It's great to know the folks behind those kinds of products. Totally agree. I think in this case, this whole controversy could have been avoided if they had just rewarded ever so slightly. Because in the tweet, this person says, the new project I designed arrives today, the Dynamic Island. So the new project that I designed, it reads as in this person was the one and only designer who designed this thing which i doubt was the case right <laughs> i mean maybe maybe it was maybe it was just this person mm-hmm, yeah and i think that's what some people took issue with because uh yeah of course i think to you and and i it's obvious that this person was not the only one involved yeah. but it might not be obvious to 
everyone. So, so I think that that was the only thing because I do agree. I mean, I famously Apple is so controlling and like you know of like what you can share or whatever. Even if like you can't even say in which team you are on sometimes, right? You know, like <laughs> right. Um, so just being able to say like, yeah, I worked on this. It was nice. Here you go, and even like put it on their portfolios or something, right? Like I, I think it would be, mm-hmm. it's nice, and I I would encourage them to keep doing that and do more of that. But I think the only thing here was that the way this person phrased it. But yeah, this person is amazing. And again, I think it's like the fourth time we're mentioning this, but they have an incredible WWDC session over swipe home gestural interaction behavior thing. It's crazy. I will never forget how you can like tap on an app to open the app. And as it's animating in to go full screen, you can start scrolling inside. Anyway, just... <laughs> yeah go watch that incredible incredible yeah complete masterclass. and yeah I, I do hope that we get to hear about more of the details behind the scenes of that one of the things that's interesting again it's like yeah i'm kind of on the same page with you that's it feels kind of weird like it feels like apple's maybe turning a corner when it comes to like social media and like doing these things or maybe they're about to and what people share because this is not like hey, I'm on this team, which it seems like some people, you know, Mm -hmm. can't really even say. This is like, hey, I was on this team. I designed this, like, super important interface element. And here's a bunch of brand new video recordings and mock-ups of these things that Mm. we've never seen on an Apple property. Like, just retweeting a video that already exists. It's like, nope, like, Mm -hmm. brand new content here. (laughs) Here you go. And additionally, what I thought was really interesting is their tweet says, this is just the start, but I'm excited to see it begin its life. (laughs) Just, like, clearly saying, like, there is going to be more about this. Like, is that a state secret? No, absolutely not. But I don't know. I think it's easy to imagine extra ways in which it can be used with the given hardware or as I'm hoping, have it the next phone or whatever next revision to this to just be a single camera hole. (laughs) And then like, I think, you know, all of these interactions get a lot cooler you have a lot more space to play with so i think it'll be great once once that happens i think you might be reading too much into that tweet but uh i hope you're i may be but i think it's (laughs) gotta happen at some point i mean that pill cutoff is so much bigger than anything that any other competitor is doing that like surely apple can't be that much behind everyone else with this so i'm hoping that they can get there will they get there next year Uh, maybe not maybe the year after so there's see. already uh rumors that all iphones in the iphone 15 line are going to have this so not just the pros mm-hmm. so next year all of them will have the island yeah and also one of the extra things that i thought of maybe i'm like really so far gone with my conspiracy theory with this but the fact that they called it an island and not something pill shaped means that they can change the dimensions and size and essentially what i'm hoping is make it just a circle (laughs) and there's just one camera and they can still call it the dynamic island like because if it was called the dynamic pill or whatever (laughs) it wouldn't really work uh but now they have a it already goes into different shapes not just pills right it already morphs into yeah but it never gets smaller than a pill sure Again, I think you might be reading too much into this, but uh, yeah, it's fun. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Probably. 
probably. Uh, and then the last thing is, uh, yeah, old man yells on islands. I mean, I don't know if there's any much more that we have to say about this. Maybe we can. Let's see if next week we still feel like talking about it. <laughs> yeah, and also it doesn't have to be next episode. But I would love to talk to you about the our design tools and especially like the dynamic island stuff. Like if we were to prototype and design these interactions and transitions and whatever, it's tough. Like I don't know how I would do this because it's mm. it's not a vector morphing. And it's also, there's this combination of, I think the key to these transitions to work, it's animating like blurs, mm -hmm. it's blurring elements in and out, yeah. which is not a very common way to, to animate elements in and out. So I'm thinking about it, like just from a tooling perspective, like are we as designers, are we kind of limited by our tools? It's not a checkbox. I can just, yeah, and blur <laughs> your way in and out. I actually, I think we got our answer to what Figma wants out of that Adobe deal. <laughs> They saw the island and they're like, oh no, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Who here can blur stuff in and out? And Adobe's like, we can't. <laughs> this is where design is going. So, all right, that's it. <laughs> Gotta get acquired by Adobe. That's, that's it. That's the only way. <laughs> okay, Kevin. Another teaser, just another teaser for next okay. week. Because you mentioned that you were working on an update to Booby Track. Is it booby track? Yep. Uh, I was like, I it kind of came naturally to me, but it seems like every parent's making an app to track this thing now. Everyone's like copying you. That I'm like, I mean, I'm copying people. I hope I I got the the original name right. Um, so you're working on an update for that. The Hig from Apple is really wild for this island. Did you see the leading and trailing and center and bottom placement? things like it's just wild how you design around this pill shape yep cut out and so i'd love for you next episode to tell us about your experience designing around that and i'm curious also about like some of the how the text flows because they have these container boxes the interesting piece is essentially the container box is not a rectangle mm -hmm. it's like a rectangle that has like a little pill indentation <laughs> cut out of it and uh -huh. so i'm really interested to see like say you put a, a swift ui text view in there how does that view get rendered exactly like how does it work so anyways we can get to it next week okay uh very curious about this i think this is an interesting kind of layout really wild layout problem that they've created for themselves okay good tease I'll do that because uh, oh my god! You see all the tweets with people like mocking up stuff and oh yeah, and the mockups they have like guys like this just needs to stop. <laughs> like pixels in the middle. Like wait, no, do you know what this is? Like this on screen. Yeah, yeah. It's just wild. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll come back with more info. All right, uh, Kevin. Let's do recommendations real quick and wrap this up. It's it's a long one. Oh yes, I forgot about this. Yeah, uh, I can start. Uh, I'm recommending a book. It's called Japandi Living, and it's written by these two people who, it's Leila Rittenbachen Oof. and Marla Snyder. Oof, I don't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but they're both Dutch. No, your pronunciation is good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, how would you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything. I just, <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying it sounds good. Like, it sounds like you know what you're saying, so. Rittenbachen. Like, ooh, he rolled his R's. <laughs> These things are always all about the confidence. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they run the very popular Instagram account with the same name, Japandi Living. And, and so they, they released this book and it's a bunch of just like collection of inspiration images, a bunch of like little items. And also, most importantly, a lot of the principles and ideals behind the 
interior design language called Japandi, which is a mixture of Japanese and Scandinavian. And it's been really, really fun to like learn more about why it is the way it is, what, what works, what doesn't. There's a lot of like cool tips, practical tips to decorate your interiors. Also, following this style. So it's like a cool Instagram account in a hardcover book. <laughs> and it's nice. And it's one of those books, like you want it, feature it somehow. Like it's going to be visible, <laughs> right? Is it, do you have it? Is the book out? Yeah, I do have it. Hmm. Why do you ask? Uh, I'm on Amazon.com and it says coming October 23rd, oh. 2022. So maybe this is a thing where <laughs> Europeans get it first. <laughs> maybe. I did buy it not from Amazon, but from, uh, well, again, they did post it on the Instagram account that I was already following. So I just yeah, it was like a Dutch bookstore mm. thing. So maybe it was just released it initially here. I, I'm going to try to fish out like good links and post it. <laughs> but maybe less resort. You can pre-order now. It'll come out October 23rd, according to Amazon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's it. It's it's cool. It, it's definitely like one of my favorite styles right now. Trying to apply some of these things in, in my own home. But uh, yeah. Check it out if you're into this sort of thing. Nice. That's awesome. My recommendation this week is an article. And so basically I've for, um, I think I'm pretty sure over six months now, I've been using the Elgato key light mm. for my meetings. And it's just depending on your lighting situation, like if you have tricky lighting situations like I do, it's really nice to have a key light that you can just use for your meetings and have your meetings look great. The problem is this is just a thing that you plug into the wall. And it's not by default HomeKit compatible, hmm. right? And so there's no way to like be able to control it in the home. But they do have a an app that you can run on your Mac or your phone. And it runs in your menu bar and you can toggle it on and off that way. My problem is I always forget to turn it off. <laughs> I just finish my day and I go do something else uh, around the house and then realize, oh God, I left the light on. And so I wanted to find a way to automate it. And so this article, which I'll put in the show notes, shows how you can do, it's pretty easy. It's just like you're doing a, like a, do you say curl? C-U-R-L or whatever. I say curl. <laughs> yeah. You need to do like a put request, uh, a specific URL, and then you can pass it, you know, the settings that you want to set for your light. And so I was able to use this and then create a shortcut, not on my Mac, because you can't really easily automate things for specific days and times. Did it on my phone so that my phone runs this automation basically every day of the week where it automatically turns it on in the morning and automatically turns it off at a certain time. So now it just runs automatically in the background. It's still not in HomeKit, but I don't necessarily need that. I just need it to turn on and off at specific times. And so that's kind of worked for my needs. So the key light is always on during the day? Yeah, because I'm in meetings constantly. Dang, I got it. <laughs> cool. All right. Do you recommend the key light? I think maybe you have already. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I mean, again, I haven't tried other competitors to it, so mm-hmm. I couldn't say. There's also one of the things that's nice about this one is that you do have an app to control it. Mm-hmm. So some of the cheaper ones, I think, have just a control on the light itself. And then you could connect it to, say, like a smart outlet to turn on and off, for example. But I would say that I tend to play with intensity a fair bit, depending on 
how it is outside. Like today, it's raining a lot, and so versus when it's super sunny, it's very different.、Mm. And being able to change the warmth of it all from your Mac is really nice. So yeah, I do recommend it. Like I think it's probably going to be a premium over the other ones, but it's if you use it a lot, it's worth it. Okay. Cool. Biggest downside is the cable. There's no like built-in cable management with it, so you just kind of have a cable. <laughs> I just have like a. It's not even comparable. It's not the same thing. But I have a. Oh, fuck. What do I call those? Like the. It's like the Philips U thing. It comes in pairs. It's like a long pill-shaped light. I forget the name.、Huh. Whatever. I have one of those in the back of my monitor, lighting up the wall. So it's like indirect light, but I always have it on with the HomeKit mode, whatever. Like match the color of the light depending on the time of day. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. So like automatically, I get it's super white、uh, in the morning, <laughs> and then right now it's like a, a warm yellow. The, don't sleep on that feature. Nice. Yeah. Cool. All right, we did it.、Uh, this is a busy week. A lot of drama. <laughs> Design Twitter. Keep going. <laughs> I guess or not. I don't know. I can't tell if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Whoa, what a week! So follow us on、uh, Twitter at layoutfm. I'm at rafahari, and Kevin is at vernalkick. Check out our show notes and stuff、uh, on our website. That's layout.fm. If you want to sponsor us, like our good friends as Zeppelin did this week again, go to we have we have a sponsor link on our website. Check that out. And、um, that's it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, we did it. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs>